Welcome to the High Tech Freedom Podcast. This is a podcast where we bring successful tech sales professionals, thought leaders, and entrepreneurs to share best practices, insights, and lessons learned with other tech sales professionals. As a sales professional, the more we learn, the more we earn. Once we earn it, how can we put those hard-earned commission dollars back to work to build additional income streams that will create the freedom we are all working to achieve? I'm your host, Chris Freeman. I'm a high-tech sales leader, real estate investor, and lifetime learner. All right, welcome back to the High Tech Freedom Podcast. Look, for our next episode, I am super excited to have Dr. Jeffrey McGee on the show today. Dr. McGee, he's been called one of today's leading leadership and marketing strategists. And you know, today he spends a lot of time working with C-suite leaders, business leaders, military generals, facilitates some CEO to CEO peer groups all across the, the nation. And he's been a prolific writer. He uh, has over 20 books, maybe even 30 at this point, has uh, four college graduate management textbooks, a number of bestsellers, and he has been the publisher of a performance magazine, uh, P360 Magazine, and he's the former co-host of the National Business Entrepreneur Program on the Catalyst Business Radio. And listen, I'm just scratching the surface. He literally has written the textbook on sales and leadership. So, you know, I'm really excited to hear what he has to say today. And, you know, we didn't really know each other before we met to discuss him appearing on the podcast. But as I was doing my research, I started to really uh, uncover a a ton of experience and just a wealth of knowledge. So, again, I'm personally thrilled to really learn and share some of his insights. So let's just jump right into it. Thanks, Chris. It's great to be here. Appreciate the opening. It kind of makes you feel humble, but also a little excited. It's like, oh my gosh, there is a lot that uh, has happened in the rearview mirror of life. Now it's all about the windshield and what's in front of us. Yeah. You know, it is a funny thing because uh, I just dropped my son off for college here uh, last week. And, you know, you get so busy just living. Sometimes, you know, you forget everything that you've accomplished. And I think, you know, if you've been successful, I've been successful. And I think it's really important to sometimes pause and look back and say, wow, you know, you don't want to spend too much time patting yourself on your back, but appreciate (laughs) it and then move on. And that's it. I think sometimes people don't take a minute to just, you know, appreciate and enjoy, you know, where you are based upon the journey you've had, good, bad, or indifferent. Uh, And again, that gives you perspective for what's ahead of you and what you want to consciously be doing next. Absolutely. Well, let's get right into the meat of it. So I was reviewing some of your past issues of your magazine, uh, Professional Performance. Is that still available or, or is that? Uh, no, like absolutely. Chronic? So Professional Performance Magazine. And again, that's a domain name, professionalperformancemagazine.com. It's uh, year 30, comes out every quarter, uh, about a half a million readers. Marriott, Mercedes have been some of the core anchor advertisers, High Point University down in North Carolina. But it brings together what, what, from my perspective, are just phenomenal personalities. And the angle of the publication is not about current events per se, and it's not about featurey, you know, blowing someone up and you know how great you are. It really, is getting inside their mind, just like we're going to do here on this podcast, about their perspective on success, performance, and achievement. Yeah. Well, so in looking at some of the past episodes, wow, you you've had some interesting people, presidents, athletic stars like Shaq successful business people like uh, Sir Richard Branson, and then everything in between. So you know, you, as you've interviewed and had a chance to meet some of these people, what are some of the success traits that you've picked up from, from them over the years? 
Great. That's a great question. So there are some actual common threads in that vein. Sir Richard Branson and I have done a couple of books together under my banner, Professional Performance Magazine. And, you know, some of those common threads really are very powerful and, and not too surprising if you think about it, but then to other people, it is surprising. One is passion. Yeah. You've got to be passionate about what it is you do. And again, especially, you know, for our viewers today of this podcast, just think about all of the critical and negative stimulants in our universe today, you know, from the media to pundits, to business, to customers, to coworkers, to colleagues, to family members, the person behind you in traffic. I mean, you just think of, we have so much negative bombarding us that you really do have to be focused. And that would be the second trait is that, again, these successful people, not only are they passionate about what they do, so that passion drives them in good days and bad days, but they're also very focused. You got to be focused on where you're going so you know what's meaningful and important to, to fixate on and what you need to really just ignore, walk away from. Uh, let someone else deal with some of those micro minutiae. I think one of the third traits along that line is discipline. And that's where a lot of people get derailed or implode. Is that you have to have the discipline to do the hard work, the ugly work that no one else wants to do. I mean, think about just you and I, just to pat ourselves on the back. A minute ago, you say you don't spend much time doing it. But again, for our viewers, I mean, there's a lot of work that goes into what you're doing as a consultant, as an investor in real estate, uh, this podcast. Again, for our viewers, a couple of days ago, you were you know, playing student on the East Coast. And during your open windows, we're having kind of a meet and greet. I'm in my home studio here in Las Vegas in between you know, working with a military general right before you're in my call. And right after you're, I'm with one of my $6 billion clients doing you know, training. And that's the, you have to have the discipline to do the hard work. Everyone just sees the, the glamour. You know, I have a classic line I've been using for years. And that is, it seems like the line of people that are envious of what someone else has is limitless. You see it all the time. But I've never seen the line of people that are envious of the freaking work it took to get to where you and I are. I mean, it's, you know, one of Margaret Thatcher's classic lines on socialism. It's a great concept to run out of the people that actually generate money's money. And then what do you do? So, so discipline is a huge one to do the hard work and to do it consistently and do it smartly. And then maybe the last observation is structure. I mean, you have to have structure to what you do, structure in your life, structure in your business. Again, we could go off on a, on a business conversation, but if we just back up. So when I've interviewed Olympic gold medalists of all ages or American Indian heritage is a fascination of mine. So I typically always have a tribal Indian chief. Some tribes will call them principal chiefs. Some call them a CEO, but their titular head, I'll have them write an article again from their cultural background. But again, it's always on performance, success, achievement. You've talked about business entrepreneurs that we've had, but the common thread between the ones it would be those four. And there's more, but that'll mm -hmm. get us going right there. Yeah. Well, I love it. It's, um, you know, I was listening to what you're talking about, right? So passion, focus, discipline, and structure. And if I boil that down to the technology field sales rep, right? You know, ultimately they they own and run their own little mini business, their own little, little mini franchise. And that's one of the beauties of sales is they're not, well, there might be a manager that tells you exactly how to do it. But for the most part, right, you're given a number, you're given some products, you're given sort of a, some plays you need to go run, and you're ultimately responsible to go execute. And, you know, there's going to be times and bumps along the way where, eh, you know, maybe the product release isn't quite as exciting as, you, as it was. But you know what? You've got to find a way to continue to have that passion and that excitement because, you know, it may sound kind of corny, but it carries through to everything else that you do. Absolutely does. You've got to believe in where you're going and you have to have, you know, again, whether you're talking to business leaders, 
uh, an entrepreneur or a solo practitioner, as you just identified, and even that solo practitioner that works within a business, but they own their piece of the business. You have to have strategy to your game plan. Where are you going? And being able to then measure and have those key performance indicators to tell you, am I on track with my strategic goal or am I ahead of schedule, behind schedule? Uh, I'm stunned at how many people are so busy doing their business. You know, the old phrase that they're so busy working in the business, they're not working on the business. You know, and again, COVID was a great example of putting a spotlight on it. The number of businesses that in 2020 that were going like gangbusters and people thought, oh my gosh, what a brilliant woman, brilliant gentleman who's running it. But COVID really revealed they weren't that brilliant. They were damn lucky, truth be told. Add to that, they had market share. So they had momentum covering their dumb decisions that no one realized they were making. And they might've just been in a market space where they had so much of the pie that it didn't matter if they tripped. And when COVID came around, to put a spotlight on that. I mean, again, if you Google, you know, the top 50 brands that filed for bankruptcy in 2021, 22, and going into 23, I think most people will be stunned at that list. Uh, but, you know, part of what I teach in our leadership programs and what I coach and consult on is that COVID actually validated a lot of my models for 20 years that you know, I almost laugh almost every day with what's on social media where someone comes out with something they think is, wow, it's like, yeah, you're, you're 20 years behind schedule. But a lot of these core leaders that their companies ran off the cliff, they never spent time on the purpose of this podcast, and that is sales and revenue generation. You know, they were never in sales or client acquisition or product development. You know, they came up in all the linear positions in a company, which you also need. Right. But they never had to make a sale. So when COVID hit, the first thing everyone did was hunker down and say, okay, how do we cut costs? And how do we you know, get really you know focused? Which is, we need to do that. No one ever stopped to think, how do you make a sale? Yeah. Uh, again, I live in Las Vegas. And I, again, during COVID, the Las Vegas Strip was shut down tight. Um, I used to you know live on the Strip. So I'd go out and I'd go jogging and walking up down the Strip. And there'd be like two or three other people on the entire Las Vegas Strip. For any of our viewers or listeners, if you're familiar with Las Vegas, there's a guy walk right in front of Caesar's Palace in the Flamingo. And I remember sure. standing on that and looking both directions on Las Vegas Strip and shooting pictures. There wasn't a human being to be seen. It looked like, you know, be real for a Hollywood zombie yeah, movie. Apocalypse. Yeah. But the point of that is that those restaurants, you know, the governor said you had to shut down. But no, that's not what governors said. Of course, most governors have never signed a paycheck. It's easy to shut down a state. It's different to turn the switch and turn it back on, which is sales. What they said was you can't have anyone come in your restaurant. See, none of them quickly change your trajectory. Think about, wait a second, how do we you know, tie into Uber Eats? How do we do order online? How do we do you know, drive up and pick up delivery? I tell people, think of any restaurant or Starbucks with a drive up window. I didn't see any of them close down during COVID. Yeah. So it's back to sales and you know, back to the question of, of seeing the patterns. Yeah. Well, you know, in salespeople, we're problem solvers, right? I mean, it's Maybe you get a bluebird, maybe there's an opportunity, it's just easy, but you know, that's 10% of the time. 90% of the time, it's there's challenges, deals are stuck, you have to go figure Absolutely. out how to maneuver it. And that, you know, that becomes a skill that you start to just do inherently, but it's it's so hugely important in success beyond just sales. And I, I think that's you know kind of a big part of your point there. It is when you start thinking about sales, and there's different models that you know I I've come to use both when I was in frontline sales, uh, when I was more in you know, account development, when I was in national sales accounts, uh, when I was working for a Fortune 100 company, when I went into business on my own, and, and now as I you know, train and coach and consult from this perspective, you know, there's different models that, that everyone creates, you've created, whether you realize them or not. You have behavioral patterns, you have different you know, mental SOPs you follow to, to execute greatness. And once you start to put pen to pencil and write down, okay, what are those processes or what are those actions or what are those activities 
So you can train other people on them and duplicate it, or you can, in essence, teach other people. There really are some really simple models. Again, you can make them very you know, intense, but simple models to success. And part of it is, again, what's the actual work product you need to do? Um, that is an amazing piece of what people forget. So there's a formula I use in sales, whether I'm consulting you know, with a billion-dollar company, a $300 million company, or a startup that you know, wants to invest uh, in me. And I call it WP times F equals ROI. WP times F equals ROI. So if you're a listener and you didn't write that down, you're a freaking idiot. WP times F equals ROI. Because again, I have specific answers. You got to pay to get those. Right. But the model is this. First, you have to recognize what are the work products that lead to success in whatever the endeavor is you're doing. So if, if Chris, if you were my rock star salesperson, I would stop and actually analyze what the heck are you doing that leads to success. Now, even though that sounds simplistic, it blows my mind how many businesses have never done what I just said. The United States Army has 10,000 military recruiters. Fascinatingly enough, they have never, ever studied the consistent successful recruiter to find out what it is that she or he is doing. That's WP. And I can prove that. So if anyone wants to call him and say that's true, <laughs> then we're going to really have an ugly conversation. Because how can you not make your mission for almost the last 10 consecutive years if you know what success is? So WP. So take that to any sales job. Once you know what the work is, the WP, then times F is a multiplier, which is frequency. Frequency, mm -hmm. how often do you do it? How much of it do you do? So in sales, again, how often do you make cold calls? In a real estate industry, a part of their WP times F is you've got to make cold calls or you hire someone to make the cold calls, whether it's you know for sale, for owner you know, listings, expired listings, et cetera. But you're always making the calls. So that's a WP. When do you do them? Well, maybe, Chris, you figured out for you, the best time to make those is Tuesday, Wednesday morning. So two days a week, there's part of your F and you do them from 9 to 1030 a.m. There's a part of your F. For me, maybe that doesn't work in terms of the F, but the WP is still the same. You've got to call new people. Right. So there's always a WP times F. Let's say you and I own a restaurant and you and I are, are training our wait staff. It's a five-star restaurant we want it to be, even though maybe it's reality, it's a three-star, but we want to give someone a five-star experience. Well, again, you think about WP times F, the model applies there. So again, your wait staff, they see someone sit down for lunch and they say, okay, what level of service do I give that's going to maybe connect to the level of, of a tip that I'm going to get? So there's your ROI. Well, if you see a group of people sit down and you go, holy crap, they're, they're going to take up my entire lunch hour. You're only going to get one turn of that table during lunch, which is an F. But if you do a phenomenal job, you may get a better tip off of one turn than you might have gotten off of hustling and getting three turns. But see, people don't get those things. So WP times F equals ROI. Strategic level of where the executive team is, you want to be successful in selling. You look at your business and say, okay, what all needs to be done? By who does it need to be done by? Where is it going to be done? All those are your WPs. Then when and how often there's your F and you get an ROI. Working with military recruiters for 30 years, as an example, yeah. I have clearly defined six things that if a recruiter does it, it is mathematically impossible to not make mission. It is mathematically impossible to not make your mission. And every time I've said, I'm with the recruiter's not making mission, somewhere in those five things are not doing, if not multiples. That's the model. Huge. I hope you are enjoying this episode. I wanted to break in with a quick commercial. During the podcast, we sometimes talk about how to invest those hard-earned commission dollars so that you can build that freedom we are all working towards achieving. Now, I built that through 20 years of real estate investing. Now, recently, my team helped me put together a webinar on how top sales pros can create passive income and achieve financial freedom 
with hands-off real estate investing. Now, I'm still doing this. And as I continue to invest, I'm giving opportunity for others to learn and invest alongside of me. So if you want to learn more, go check out our webinar at hightechfreedom.com forward slash webinar. That is hightechfreedom.com forward slash webinar. We will also put the link in the show notes. Now back to the show. So, you know, back to that fourth example of structure, right? You just laid out a structure. And discipline. You know, and look, the reality is, you said it, not every company, not every executive team is analyzing the successful team members and then turning that into a structure or process for other team members to follow. And I've worked for companies that, you know, they didn't do it. And so if you're a top performer, right, don't wait, go look, go hunt out the other top performers and dig in. And, you know, you may not get it perfect, but start analyzing what are they doing? How do they work? What is their structure? And then, you know, turn that into your frequency. And, you know, how could you not see an improvement in your sales and your production? And that's exactly part of the formula that people, a lot of times, let's just cut to the chase. Here's the problem on the planet. And and I love this podcast is that, that you are truly successful at what you do. So I don't need to blow up your ego. People can look at your LinkedIn and see what you've done for many years. And I'll put my record on the table against someone else as well. But the reality is that in the last decade and since COVID at warp speed, everyone with a mouth thinks they're a podcaster and everyone with a freaking finger thinks they're a blogger and an author. And the reality is most of these people are creating so much noise in the marketplace, which is great for me and you, that they're actually, in essence, great at self-marketing. They get everyone excited. Oh, my God, did you go to so-and-so's conference or we're working with so-and-so? But all they do is leave a wake of nightmare because all they know is the surface of success. They have no depth because they've never been there. It's like someone I go on LinkedIn and, and I look at someone and every year and a half to two years, they've changed their job and employer. I'm sorry, you're not good at anything. You're masterful at interviewing and getting hired again. But if you were successful, because see, people don't think like a business owner. If I put my business owner hat on, if Chris is on my team and you're a rock star salesperson, I'm going to bust my butt to not let you leave me. See, no one ever looks at it that way. I'm the greatest salesperson ever. Not if you can't keep a job for more than two years for the last nine employers. You're not good. I'm sorry. Because yeah. if you were that great, someone would have found a way to keep you. And so some people, they out themselves at the point of that little tirade. Yeah. And again, when you look at success, If you look at those top performers, they do hang out with each other. They don't spend time with mediocre. And that sounds rough and tough, but that's the reality. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. So, you know, it's something that I didn't do in my early career. My attitude was, all right, head down, do the work. And, you know, I missed out on a lot of opportunity to go hunt out kind of outside of my company, other successful people. And there are there are avenues to do that. There's meetup groups. There's programs out there. You know, you don't necessarily have to go pay for it. But, you know, even in your own, like, I just went to a networking event just recently. Hadn't been to like a local one where it was within the IT industry. And I was such a dork. I showed up with all my business cards because the company had sent them. And I was like, you know, I have them. I just want to use them. But, um, you know, it was an opportunity. I looked in, there's a lot of people there and I kind of identify, you know what, that person is sharp. That person is, I've known him for 20 years. I haven't talked to him in a long time. Why am I not picking his brain? Smart people mastermind off of other smart people. And there's nothing disingenuous with that. And something you said earlier, again, prior to being a successful entrepreneur, business person, or sales representative is problem solving. What is someone's need and how do I help them to accelerate 
to the solution and beyond that so they can get to their next level of success. And again, there's a lot of relationship in selling, but there's also the transaction at the end of the day. And how do you keep those two in balance and and make those an effective, successful journey and experience for both you, the organization, and them, the, the customer, so us together can be successful? And how do we listen to that customer, what their needs are? I mean, I'm always surprised that people, you know, when they talk about a customer that's left them, it's like they gave you a zillion clues before they ever left, or they're now buying you know, a product we don't have. Well, they gave you a zillion clues. They were looking for that product before they ever left you. And again, people don't realize that, you know, what are you doing to innovate your product to the next level? You know, COVID pushed a lot of Zoom and, and Microsoft Teams and Meetup and Skype and, you know, WebEx to the world. And everyone spent time, you know, for a year trying to figure out how to do a studio and talk. And I just laughed. And it's like, look, most people don't care how great your background is. As long as it's, you know, half-assed professional, what they want is your content. They want your mental DNA. They want your intellectual property. It can help them solve a problem. And again, one of the training companies I I was a, a, a co-owner in that I sold a couple of years back, we were doing video for, for 20 some years. So again, if you pay attention to your marketplace, it'll tell you where you are. So when everyone's excited about Zoom as an example today, it's a great platform, but you're 20 years behind if you're just now finding this guy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so speaking of that, all right. So, I mean, sales has changed over the years. Is there one or two things that has significantly changed with how to really execute and be successful in sales that you've seen over the last, I don't know, five years, 10 years, whatever it might be? You know, it's a great question. You know, it's like you're hijacking all the content out of my sales books. Uh, and you Still talk about have to the, buy it, right? Still I know. Save yourself time, everybody. So years ago, McGraw-Hill came to me and asked me to write a graduate textbook on sales. And, and so kind of from an academic standpoint, one of the, the models in there I would use to speak to your question, you know, as sales evolves where it's more IT-based or adaptive energy, you know, again, analytics, whether it is, you know, the user interface to our organization without ever having to talk to a live human being, uh, whether it is still face-to-face, whether it's using kiosk, I mean, any of those domains, what I've recognized is I back up and I try to look at the macro before the micro, where people get caught up as they get caught up in the micro first. You know, years ago, you and I grew up where people would teach it and tell us and train us, you know, from the perspective of the shiny new object syndrome, you know, or the game of whack-a-mole, you know, someone pops up over here and how do I take care of that issue or something pops up over here and you go, oh my gosh, I want to be like them without having a strategy and say, you know what, that's great for that person in your business. It's not appropriate for me in my business. So, you know, quit comparing yourself to someone else and just be yourself. So when I look at the macro, the answer is yes. So nothing new here for anyone that's, that's watching us today in sales, but let me give you the new when I'm done talking. You know, the old tenant of sales, you know, the Zig Ziglar's, you know, the the Dale Carnegie's, you know, some of the old history uh, lessons of sales, they would talk about how do you differentiate yourself in the marketplace? And if you go down that line of thought, then if you have a couple of sales books for our viewers here and you look at them, you're going to read and hear a concept called unique selling feature Mm -hmm. or unique selling proposition. That's a macro. And then our homework assignment was to sit down and say, okay, what makes that unique for me, Chris, versus what makes that unique for me, Jeffrey? So the way I look at it is this. So here's how I, I help people to say, it doesn't matter what the trend changes are. Here's how you stay and remain successful. 
There's two USFs I recognize when I was in frontline sales all the way through to strategic management sales never change. So the first way we need to look at unique selling feature or unique selling proposition is if you think of the word unique selling feature, I tell people if you write down selling and circle it above selling, you would write down W-H-A-T because selling deals with the what factors, what you have to offer that the other guy doesn't, what your product does that someone else doesn't, what your product innovation now does that someone else doesn't. So, so selling is the tangible, intangible, but it's the W. W-H-A-T. So in sales then is where I started to learn the answer to your question, because all of us know that piece I just gave you. So if what I just right. gave you is something new, then folks, you're really behind schedule. <laughs> so, so first is the what factor. So that's selling. So then I realized, wait a second, there's also a second USF, which is unique service feature. So the first S is selling. Selling equates to W-H-A-T. Service equates to H-O-W. How your product may work. So I may have two cans of shaving cream I'm going to reach for this morning, but I may choose one over the other because of how it works. You know, does it go on in a nice big lather or do I have to like, you know, work for 45 minutes to get the lather? I mean, as an example, so that's how a guy is going to make that product. So if I'm a woman selling that product, you can be more successful than the guys if you start thinking from the perspective of the users. That's why I use that gender-based example. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a great TV show years ago, and I'm sure this is going to blow up half of our viewers. So if it does, that's perfect because it means you're losing the sell and I'm going to win. There's another clue about sales. You have to take your emotion out of it and stay focused. But The, the Apprentice was a TV show years ago that was brilliant. And, and I coach people to watch it. And there's one episode of The Apprentice where Pontiac had a product that they brought to the, to the participants. And they had one group was men and one group was women. And the car was designed and aimed at women. The women were smart enough to say, okay, so let's design all of the marketing material around how us women want it. The guys were so academic, they forgot the obvious, which is you're not creating marketing material for you. They told you it's a car aimed at women. Mattel did the same thing. They put parents. You just said you're a parent. They put a group of parents in a room and they broke down the room into two different groups, men and women on both. And Mattel said, okay, create a new toy. What was interesting was one group said, this is great. Through the eyes of a parent, here's a great toy, which is why they lost. The other group said, let's get a group of kids in a room that's the target audience and ask them for their impact. And that's why they won. So USF, the first way you look at it is the obvious. So unique selling, unique service. Now, here's my answer to your question, because that's not the answer. That's the foundation everyone plays from. And if you're not playing from that foundation, I don't know what the hell you're doing. What I realize is that there's four reasons Chris Freeman's going to change his buying decision-making behaviors. There's four reasons Chris is going to maintain and keep his buying decisions. So what I teach, train, and look at, and you can see this on your phone, folks. If you think about the internet now, no matter what service provider you have, if you try to go to any internet website on your phone, you're typically a hostage for six seconds because there's a pop-up ad. In that six seconds, they're going to do one of combination or these four items. And if they nail these four, the six seconds has already elapsed. The skip button came up, but you're still watching the commercial because they're playing to these four and it connects with you. They don't hit these four, you start counting down. Six, five, four, three, two, one, skip, boom, and away you go. So you can even test these models on something like your phone. So here are the four. You want to get someone to take action. Then you want to look at your emails, look at your website, look at your collateral material, look at your exhibit booth at a a trade show, listen to how you talk. And number one is the word better. And these four are not in a particular order. You can make them any order you want. But if I show you a product, Chris, that you're already buying, and I say, here's my product I want you to consider purchasing, and you don't see anything about it that's going to make your life better, that this product is better than what you're getting, there's a really good likelihood you're not going to switch. So that's one. Second is faster, faster or efficiencies. No one typically goes and buys something that's going to last longer. 
I mean, the whole world goes to the Starbucks. If you got three Starbucks you can go to, whether you're walking or driving, the one that takes forever to create your product is the one you're going to start to not go back to as often because it's too slow for you. So faster and efficiency, same thing. So whether it's a phone, whether it's your email, whether it's a product, again, you're going to do uh, yard chores this weekend. Trust me, no one going to Lowe's and buying a product that's going to take twice as long to get the job done. So the second way that we look at our unique selling features and unique service features is one is better, one is going to be, in essence, faster, efficiently. Third is going to be, in essence, different. What really makes this different? You have a child, so don't answer this question out loud, Chris. But again, if you have one or two, when the child was born, you and your spouse had to do the brainstorming of what are we going to name our child? So if you were Chris Freeman, the 97th, then you probably had a ton of pressure to name your child Chris as well, because it's a family name. So for you to break out of that, that would be, we're going to do something different. Again, or the other element is, you know, your name is Chris. My name's Jeff. We went to school and there's 9,000 other Chris's because our parents weren't smart. See, they named you Chris because it was something different in their head. They weren't realizing that the other three parents down the street, they're about to have a kid named their their child a different name, which is Chris. So right. it's the, the different. What makes this different? I want a car that's this color because no one has that one. Then as soon as you buy that color car, you see 9,000 of them everywhere. So it's the different. What makes it different that may give you a competitive edge that might, in essence, allow you to, and then you wrap around it your goal. So one's better, two's faster, three's different. And fourth is cost effective. And cost effective doesn't necessarily mean cheaper. During COVID, more mega yachts were ordered and prepaid 100% in advance than ever in the history of mega yacht industry. So it wasn't cheaper. More Lamborghinis, Bugattis, Mercedes, Rolls Royces were sold during COVID than ever in the history of both those companies. So cost effective, it might sometimes mean, yes, lowest price point, but not always. So that's where you have to do the value proposition. Here's why you know, you're investing this kind of money or et cetera. So what I've recognized over time, back to the question, is over time has sales changed? Yes, it has. But if you really recognize what's changed, it's still playing by the same four. So if I'm going to automate, how does that help to make the user experience faster and more efficient? See, that's one of my four. Or how is this going to help us to become more profitable, make more money? That might be a way of looking at number four. But those are the four you want to run by. And so now we've given your viewers today four master classes on sales. I was just going to say, hey, listeners, you just had a seminar right there. That was fantastic. And, you know, going back to those four reasons, when you talked about better, you said something there that I keyed in on especially in, in the technology world, right? We're selling technology products, we're selling software, SaaS services, whatever. And lots of different vendors can have a better product in their mind or in the sales rep's mind. But I think you said something that make, make sure I understood it correctly. How is it better from the perspective of the user, right? I mean, that's all that matters. All that matters. Now, now let's play with those four. There has to be some massive logic wrapped around those four, because again, once someone makes the purchase, and again, we've heard variations of this our entire life, so McGee's not saying something new, but I'm showing you the application to it. Once someone makes that purchase, their logic track is going to scrutinize what they've done, whether it's just internally in an internal dialogue or making the justification to their boss, their spouse, their whoever, their, their shareholders, that they made the right investment down the road. And if not, it's going to get you in trouble. So for example, I'm all for green. I'm all for being smart with vehicles and just everything on the planet and looking at the mix. Okay, so that's a disclaimer. I don't want anyone to have a heart attack when I make my next statement. But at the time of this recording, we just had a massive hurricane Ian went through Florida. And now it's zigzag back and it's going to come up to Georgia and the Carolinas. 
What's fascinating is that the Fort Myers uh, fire chief was being interviewed during this hurricane's aftermath, and they were showing one of their fire trucks that they're having to push outside of the firehouse because it was an electric fire truck. That's clever. Someone made a good case why you need one of those. And the problem was they're pushing it because it was partially underwater and the batteries were starting to smoke and they thought it was about to catch fire or blow up and he didn't want to lose his entire firehouse. And so then they started up their diesel fire trucks so that the diesel fire truck could pull the electric fire truck. So again, I say that, that that before this hurricane probably made great sense to go green in that way, but guaranteed today someone's having a conversation. It may not be a public conversation, right. but they're having a conversation going, wait a second, maybe we don't need to be green in everything. Or if we're going to go green, maybe we need to forget how do we protect the vehicle so that rising water doesn't cause an issue, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, so I use that as because that's a really sensitive topic in the globe today when you talk about green. So that's why I wanted to toss that like a hand grenade for our viewers. Yeah. To think about yeah. If you're selling a topic that does have emotion wrapped around it with a lot of pro, but a lot of con, the way you bring people together to be civil and look at your offer is you wrap those four words I gave you around a huge logic track, and then you can have success. But if you don't, it becomes you against me, and that's where you don't make the sale. Yeah. And so, you know, to boil this down, right, like if you're a field rep today, just take those four better, faster, different, cost, cost effective. And just take a little, think about your product and just, you know, come up with your own scenario, come up with your own narrative and, you know, test it out. It may not be perfect, but it may be better than what you're doing right now, you know, and then you'll tweak it, adjust it as you go along. Wait, uh, so Jeffrey, as we uh, wrap up, I'd like to go back to the topic of success. So I'm going to give my listeners something to chew on or think about. So with all of these successful people that you've worked with, the people that you've interviewed, the executives that you've uh, helped train. You know, they're all working hard. They're all, you, you talked about the passion, the focus, the discipline and structure. But I'm curious, you know, what does freedom look like for them? You know, what are they all working towards, you know, once they hit that level of success, whether it's time, money, happiness, et cetera? That is a powerful question. So there are some actual very clear trends I've seen in people's spoken and, and non spoken words that, first of all, if you're not a billionaire, the answers are really clear. Once you become a billionaire, it's amazing how the answers change. So that's my first response. So if you dissect that, one of them, it's all about money. People may say money's not a motivator, but it absolutely is. Because when you have at any level in the back of your head, obligations, you know, my child's going to college, who's going to pay that bill? Or I still have a mortgage, how am I going to pay that? Or I want to invest in some elements and what's that going to do to my budget? See, those are all monetary questions. But once you go over the bar where now you have billions, you still have big decisions, but they're completely different because you never have to worry about losing your house. That one you've got covered and taken care of. It's in a trust or et cetera. You know, how do I make sure I don't have uh, a situation where I, I have no income on a monthly basis for the next 30 years of my life because I'm 70 years of age and I project I'll be dead at 100, et cetera. So the first, what I've recognized how people spell freedom is they look at all of those survival elements to them. And how do I make sure I have those secured? And you can say it any way you want, but it's going to come down to money because that's it. That's one. Now, set that one to the side. Now, how do people measure or define freedom? And let me give you another layer. So it's almost like we're doing Maslow's hierarchy of needs, but with different words. The second way I've seen a lot of them speak to it is the word legacy. And so that's the big word I would end with is that people always want to say, what's my legacy? Is my legacy that I, Chris Freeman, am not known to anyone in the world except my family, my family's taken care of. And, and how do I define that? There's legacy. 
Is it I want to set up, you know, scholarships or endowments or trusts? I mean, that's legacy. Do I want to pick a cause that's important to me, which is planting more trees? You know, I'm over the age of 50 and anyone who's around age 50, you grew up with that was the big thing back in the 70s and 80s. There was Arbor Day and it was, you know, you would, you know, raise money and get little tree saplings that would come to your school, elementary school. And right. I mean, so is that the yeah. issue or is it feeding the hungry or is it taking care of people in your community or is it, you know, doing mission work in some other country. So so legacy is really the word I'd give to you that I've noticed all of them are about number one, making sure their piece of the pie is covered. There's your money statement. Mm -hmm. Call it anything you want. Uh, But then it's all about legacy. And the most successful people that I've met, um, some of which, unless you're in their space and industry, you would not know their names and others, as you mentioned, whether it's the Shaquille O'Neal's or the Sir Richard Branson's or the, you know, Marilyn uh, Carlson Nelson, you know, uh, her family, you know, Radisson Hotel chain and TG Fried Restaurants. It, the word is legacy. And so we all may then micro define legacy different, but that's the word I leave you that, you know, what is your legacy? You know, there's a great poem. I forget the young lady that wrote it. It's called The Dash. Um, and I might end you know, my comments unless you have any other questions with that. And if you think of the dash was this, if you're familiar with it, bring it back up and share it with your team, your employees, your company, your family, your kids. Put it on you know, LinkedIn, which is the only business platform left out there, and it's quickly becoming polluted as well. But the dash is this. You walk to a cemetery, and the cemetery should be a place of celebration. It's not negative. People tend to view it as a negative. But you look at any headstone. You know, When I lived in Bozeman, Montana, there was a cemetery close to downtown where I'd go hiking. Um, and I love to walk through because some of the headstones were you know, 100 plus years of age and very ornate, the carvings and stuff. But the dash is there's a date someone arrived, and there's a date someone left, and there's a dash in between. Whether that person lived 100 years years or they live basically one year. What did they do during that dash? And that takes you back to the word legacy. What did they do that's a memory post in your or others' minds? How did they contribute to their space or the planet or others to make it a meaningful dash? And so that's kind of it. So imagine you could walk through any cemetery in America and you could go up to any headstone um, and you could just gently touch it and a large TV screen would come up out of the top of it and a videotape would play of that person's life. What would that dash and videotape reveal? Would you be impressed with, with the time you had and how you spent it or would you be highly embarrassed and want to like erase the videotape? So the dash, it's all about legacy, Chris. Great question. Yeah, that's fascinating. It's an interesting way of looking at it. Well, Jeffrey, if somebody would like to reach out to you, connect up with you or follow some of your content? What is the best way to do that? Great question. Thank you. Three ways people can connect. One, my name, as you see it on the screen right here, is jeffreymcgee.com. So get the right spelling. jeffreymcgee.com, they'll take you to my talent uh, management company. And there are under resources, several free resources I provide. So it's not a you know click and you have to pay to get connected. So I, I believe in putting it out there. So there's a leadership article I write once a week. There's a sales article I write once a week and a personal mastery article I write once a week. They can sign for those. My magazine is uh, www.professionalperformancemagazine.com. So professionalperformancemagazine.com. Again, we have a a TV show program, podcast, books. Uh, We do the quarterly magazine. You can get them digital or hard print. And then the number one way we should all be connected is on LinkedIn. Connect with me on LinkedIn, Dr. Jeff Speaks or Dr. Jeffrey McGee. Because every day I try to, to be mindful of posting not something that's selling, not commentary on what's going on, but something that meaningfully will help you as a business leader to be more successful. So those are the three ways someone can connect, follow, or, or reach out to me. I love it. You know, and just going back to, you, know, you said you had a sales and a leadership article that you publish once a week. I mean, why not sign up and subscribe to those? I mean, that is just content. Even if you just read it for one minute and pull a nugget, that stuff, Thank you know, you. if you're doing that every week, 
And that is one of the things I strongly believe in is, you know, just a lifetime learner. And once you stop learning, you stop growing. Absolutely. And Benjamin Franklin had a great uh, quote, which I'm going to screw up, but it's to the effect of, you know, the person who invests their person to their head is never going to be bankrupt again. So lifelong learning is where it's always at. Great. Well, Jeffrey, thank you again. I really appreciate your time. Great conversation. I could talk to you for another hour. Thank you, Chris. Thank you all very much for paying attention to the two of us today. Thank you. Thanks again for joining us today. To get more sales and real estate tips, you can subscribe to our newsletter at hightechfreedom.com. You can also join our private Facebook and LinkedIn group that is exclusively for sales professionals. If you found a nugget of good information in the podcast, please subscribe, give us a positive rating and write a review. If there is a topic that you would like us to cover in the future, please send us a note through our website at hightechfreedom.com. Until next week, make this your best week ever.